mission. Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. ...is the same. This is what God called us to. Two things true about Launch Point Church. Our mission is always going to be the same. We're going to be a place that exists where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Let me break that down for you. If you haven't been coming here for very long, you've heard us say this. But essentially what we're saying is our primary responsibility, if there are four buckets, our primary bucket is that people come to know God. Everything flows out of that bucket. The fact that people find freedom when they come to know God flows out of that knowing God bucket. Whatever binds you, whatever struggles you have can be defeated at the cross of Calvary. Amen? And have been. In finding freedom, we discover our purpose. As the shackles come off and I begin to explore what God has for me, I realize that I have been created for a purpose. All of us have been created for a purpose. There's not a single person in this body that isn't placed specifically in this body to do something. And then finally, or not finally, discover our purpose and finally make a difference. Now, the only difference we can make now, we can do all this stuff we talked about, but let's face it. We give somebody hotel room money, three weeks later, they're still struggling. We've helped them for a time, but we haven't helped them for eternity. So what's the real difference we can make? The real difference we can make is create opportunity through the freedom, through the discovering of our purpose, so that other people might come back to the top of that thing and come to know God too. You know why it doesn't change? Because it's cyclic, and it's the mandate God gave us to make disciples. We make disciples, make God known, they find freedom, they discover their purpose, and then they find their place as disciple makers, causing other people to know Him too. And over and over and over and over again, this is why I'm convinced Launch Point Church is here. This is why I believe it glorifies God, and this is why I'm absolutely certain that the children you see sitting in this room, unless they move away or something, will be here generations from now. So that's the thing that will never change. The mission. But let me tell you what will change. The vision. The vision will always change. Mission is where I'm going. This is where we're going. We're going to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Vision is how do I get where I'm going. And that has to change from time to time. We have to transition from where we are to where God is calling us from time to time. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I decide I'm going to go to Chattanooga, Chattanooga is my mission. It's the place I'm trying to get to. It's what I'm doing. And so I take the interstate. The quickest route to get there is the interstate. But there's an accident on the interstate. They got the interstate shut down. So I have to take another way. Because of that factor, I've had to change the way, the vision for my approach to my mission. Amen? And so it's okay that the mission stay the same, but the vision changed. In fact, the vision from time to time has to change because everything changes. 
people change. Demographic of society, number of people in society change. Those that are saved versus unsaved changes. Technology changes. There's, like we had a couple years ago, there's crises with our health care that cause us not even to be have to not even be able to have church. So we had to find a way to have church, drive past that so that we might accomplish our mission. The vision has to change. Now, don't get me wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about changing the message. The message is Christ and Him crucified, period. But the method for which I deliver that message changes because our society changes. 20 years ago, if you would have told any pastor in America that we would be shut down, or the church in America would be shut down for months at a time and people would go to church via their television, they would have thought you were crazy. But it happened. You know why? Because there was a wreck on the interstate and we had to find another way to get where we were going. So I need you to embrace the transition, embrace the change. This is not necessarily a hoorah, happy new year service. I'm, I'm really not a cheerleader kind of pastor. Uh, sometimes I wish I was more than I am. Sometimes Pastor Rick wishes I was more than I am. But I believe God's called us to great things and great things require challenge. I've never seen a good team with a bad coach. Amen? And so, I want to talk to you about the church in transition. We have to be willing to let go of some things so that we can grab a hold of some things. How many of you guys have heard the story of the Nehushtan? Do you know what the Nehushtan is? The Nehushtan is the bronze serpent that Moses raised up in the desert. Raised it up on a pole, got... Uh, Hebrews angered God. God sent snakes. Snakes bit the people. The people that were bitten died. Moses called out. God said, make a bronze serpent, a Nehushtan. Raise it up on a pole. Anybody that looks at it will be healed. This is a shadow of Jesus. It's not the point I'm making, but move forward from the time of Exodus to the time of 2 Kings under King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah has taken and cleaned out the temple. The temple had gone into disarray, and he finds in the temple the Nehushtan that they used in the desert. And he takes it out, and instead of placing it proudly on the platform or having a ceremony for it, he smashes it. What? Do you know why he smashes it? Because at some point between the time it was created and the time it was stored, the people of Israel worshipped it. Because it's our habit to take the blessings of God and begin to worship them over the God that blessed us. And so sometimes we have to smash some Nehushtans in our life. We have to get rid of some golden calves in our life. The church from time to time needs to have its tables flipped upside down. Would you agree with that? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. The transition, the moving from where we are to where God is calling us and the heart for how that's done and why it's done. We are a church in transition. We will always be a church in transition because a stagnant church is a dead church. 
There's no standing, not moving forward that doesn't equal ultimately at some point in the future death. And so because of that, I'm here to challenge you to be a church in transition all the time. Not in 2023, but in 2024, in 2030, in 2035. Always ask yourself, is what I'm doing glorifying to God and is it making the difference God called me to make? I want to talk to you about that out of Romans 15, 1 through 5. 15, 1 through 5 says this. And this is the heart for transition. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. That means his improvement. And even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's... A quote from Psalm 69.9, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind, excuse me, with one, with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we go. I've got three points I'm going to make, and I'm going to make them very intentionally today. Number one, God-honoring transition works for the good of others. God-honoring transition works for the good of others. Verses 1 and 2 lay this out beautifully. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let me just stop right there. Paul starts this whole conversation, this paragraph, by saying, those who are strong, put away your strengths and use them only to lift up the weak that they might be strong too because it ain't about you. And we don't like that. That rages against our flesh, doesn't it? It ain't about me. What are you talking about? It's all about me. This is the world we live in. We live in a self-centric world that says do what you want, when you want, however you want, based on what it makes you feel like. But that's not the Word of God. The Word of God says the strong should raise up the weak. We have a right to do some things. Doesn't mean that we have that we should do some things. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So even though I have freedom to do some stuff, doesn't mean I have the right to do some stuff. Let me, let me give you an example. I'm a pretty political person. I hold strong political views. And I've had people ask me, why don't you express your political views more than you do from the pulpit? Because I'm not charged with expressing my political views from the pulpit. I'm charged with declaring the word of God. Now, it just so happens that my convictions in regard to politics are in line with the word of God. But I'm not going to tell you whether I'm a Democrat or Republican or an independent because the second I say I'm a Democrat, I'm, well, the second I say I'm a Democrat, 
Every Republican in the room is going to stop listening to me. When I say I'm an independent, every Republican and Democrat is going to stop listening to me. And what I've done is not express my political view. What I've done is shut off at least half of the people that can hear my voice. So now, because they're so diametrically opposed to one another, these factions, if you will, I can't tell them about the gospel. And I've minimized my voice in their life. Now, that doesn't mean I stand silent in regard to sin and policy and those kinds of things, but I make those arguments from a biblical perspective, not a political perspective. Amen? Why? I have the right to. I'm the pastor here. I can say, if you don't vote such and such, then you don't believe the word of God because the word of God says blah, 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 whatever. But just because I have a right to doesn't mean I should. Because there's somebody in this room that may be weaker in their understanding in regard to biblical conviction, and it may be better that I teach them instead of fuss at them. As I'm fussing at you. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Paul says, listen, you have the right to, but what, do, what good does it do? You need to let it go. I have the right to defend myself. When someone speaks against me, but what good does it do? Man, I see people on Facebook, social media, just defending their positions and their arguments and all that. What good does it do? You're using your strength to make the weak even weaker. The greatest lesson, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned is that I needed to learn to be okay with people not knowing my side of the story. Because me forcing my side of the story on you may weaken you and makes me weak. Is everybody okay? That's a transitional thought I'm having there. Man, I'm going to stop walking in the freedom that I have a right to so that other people might come to know the Jesus that I know is a hard piece of meat to chew on. Now, I'm not telling you put your convictions aside. Lord knows. I'm as loud about my convictions as anybody I know. But instead of using your convictions to beat someone up, how about you use your convictions to reach down, pick them up, and raise them up so that they can have the same convictions that you have? And so Paul says it ain't about us. And so if it ain't about us, what, it's, what, what is it about? It's about the edification, the improvement of the people around us. That's what it's about. Whatever I do, I do for the purpose of edification, for the improvement of those around us. This should be our goal. It's a hard challenge, but it's a necessary one. The Bible's pretty clear about our mandate to help the weak. I'm not just talking about spiritually weak. I'm talking about physically weak too. It tells us, take care of the widows. They're the weakest amongst you. Take care of the orphans because they're the weak amongst you. Take care of the hungry. Feed them. Take care of the unclothed. Give water if they're thirsty. Visit the prisoner over and over and over again. You've got to become less so that someone else can become more. Transitional thought. Stop trying to lift yourself up by pushing other people down. 
Oh, man, why are you yelling at us? Because ain't none of us there yet. All of us still walk in some level of pride. All of us need to realize that there is still more that can be done to ensure that the people around us are improved because we're in their space. We should be the light in the room. That's what the Bible says. Jesus, I said this last night at our candlelight and communion service. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in Matthew, Jesus, that was Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew, Jesus says, you be the light of the world. You can't be the light of the world and not willing to work towards someone else's improvement at the same time. Because what improvement are you trying to give them ultimately? The improvement of the knowledge of a Savior that died for them. That's good preaching right there, Pastor Jim. Thank you. I appreciate that. Number two. God-honoring transition works by example. Verses 3 and 4. For even Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. God-honoring transition works by example. First, according to verse 3, by the example of Christ Jesus. How do I improve the, other, the lives of other people? I improve the lives of other people like Jesus improved my life. If you've met Jesus, is your life better? I've never met someone that said, man, I wish I hadn't given my life to the Lord. You know why? Because everything Jesus did, He did for your improvement. So that you could become more. Y'all know my favorite verse, and I know you get tired of hearing it. John 3.30, He must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist said this about Jesus, but the same was true about Jesus himself in that Jesus became less, he decreased so that we might increase. He came down out of heaven, exhausted himself completely in ministry over and over and over again. You'll see he tried to get away from the crowd. He tried to get away from the crowd. He tried to get away from the crowd. It's not because he wasn't trying to influence the crowd. It's because he was so exhausted in influencing the crowd, so exhausted in healing the crowd, so exhausted in preaching and teaching to the crowd, so exhausted in walking in the authority around the crowd that sometimes he just needed to get away from and spend some time in prayer. But he exhausted his life for the betterment of other people. And we ain't even got to his death yet. The chances of you in America being killed for your faith are very, very, very slim. Can we at least do the first part of what Jesus did? Completely exhaust ourselves, sacrifice our life, our time, so that other people might be improved? That's transitional thinking. What am I doing now as opposed to what I could be doing that would cause me to move to a place that I lift other people up and not just walk in the freedom and demand the privileges that I have? That's what God's called us to do. But then He did even more than that. He said, I'm not just going to sacrifice the, the daily walk of my life. I'm going to sacrifice my life completely. This is the only message we have, people. Christ in Him crucified. 
Jesus. God made flesh. Allowed Himself. When I say allowed Himself, He, he had the ability, the power, and the authority to remove Himself from judgment and crucifixion. But He allowed Himself to be stripped down, to have the skin stripped off of His back, to be blasphemed, to be spit on, to be mocked. He allowed Himself to drag a timber through rugged streets. He allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross. He allowed Himself to take a spear in the side. He allowed Himself all of those things for one reason, so that you might know Him. And I'm, all I'm doing is asking that we be a church in transition and start thinking of other people so that they might know Him. Ain't nobody asking you to carry a cross and nail yourself to it. No, well, Jesus didn't nail Himself to a cross. But by the foreknowledge of God, He did. He knew what He was doing. He, it was His plan to do it. All I'm asking you to do is transition your thinking. Gear down, look around you, ask yourself, am I being Jesus in the space that I occupy? It's a tough question. But if we're to get from where we are to where God is calling us, it's a question we have to ask all the time. Otherwise, this place is going to be covered in golden calves in Nehushta. But not just the example of Jesus Christ, but by the example of the Word. Verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. We need to walk an example to the Word. When we walk an example to the Word, we have hope. When we're obedient to the Word, we have hope. We read the Word. The Word exists for three purposes. I'm going to tell you what they are. Are you ready for them? They're to develop our understanding of how awesome God is, His nature, to reveal His plan of redemption for us, And to, oh, the third thing that just slipped my mind. And to teach us to walk in righteousness. That's why the word exists. Reveal God's nature. And in revealing of his nature, our response is worship. To reveal his redemptive plan. And in his redemptive plan, our response should be praise. And to show us how to walk in righteousness and that expectation is that we be obedient. Why would you read the Word of God if you're not going to be obedient to it? You know what I don't do? I don't cook. But you know what else I don't do? I don't read cookbooks. Because I don't care about cooking. My wife's a good cook. She likes to cook. Why would I read something I'm not paying attention to? 
Read the Word, do what it says, is the best sermon my pastor ever taught me. Read the Word, do what it says. The Bible says in John chapter 14 that in doing that, this happens. 14.21 He who has my commandments, my Word, and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. In obedience to the word, transition happens, change happens in these areas. But we also prove our love for God. We prove God's love for us. And we open up the door for revelation. I hear people all the time, God's not talking to me. I just, man, I've been praying for such and such for so long and I'm not getting an answer. The last piece of that says, and I will reveal myself to you. Y'all looking for revelation without reading a word, you're not going to get it. Because you've already been given some revelation. If you understand Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have revelation. You have the Spirit of God living in you, but what do you recall? How can you recall that which you... The Holy Spirit isn't just going to deposit that information in you. It'll recall that information out of you. But we have to be obedient. We have to, if we expect revelation, to be obedient to the Word of God. That's transitional thinking. Stop just reading the Word. Stop just talking about the Word. Start doing the Word. I do counseling. I'm not good at it. I've had hardly anybody that ever had me counsel them. Desire to do it a second time. (laughs) But that's okay. That's why we have Rick here. He's softer and kinder and gentler. But if you do come to me for counseling, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm a linear thinker. I'm going to tell you, do such and such. Do this. Insert this here. Then I'm going to set up a second appointment. And you're going to come back. And the first thing I'm going to ask you is, did you do what I told you to last time? And if you tell me no, I'm going to tell you to go away. Because why would I give you something else to do when you haven't been obedient to the first thing I told you to do? For us to be a transitional church, we need to be a revelatory church. In order to be a revelatory church, we have to be an obedient church. I want step three or step 12 or step 100, but I know I'm not going to get it because God doesn't reveal himself to people who aren't obedient to his word. Man, that's not rest. That's ugly. Might be ugly, but it's true. I want you to go back and watch the Last Supper, or read read through the Last Supper. People say Judas ate too. He did eat, but he wasn't given revelation. If you'll read that story, you'll actually see Jesus tell him, dismiss him. Okay, go do what you're going to do, and then after he leaves, he starts the final discourse. He starts telling his real disciples, I'm about to leave. This is what's about to happen. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. But not until Judas is dismissed. Why? Because he wasn't true and obedient to the word. 
And so he didn't deserve the revelation they deserved. Transitional churches seek revelation through obedience. Amen? That's good. And then finally, God-honoring transition works by the power of God to the glory of God. Five and six says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord and with one voice glorify God the Father our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I don't have the ability to do anything without the power of God. Nothing of any eternal consequence. We can't grow this church by plans and processes. We grow this church by the power of God because it's His church. By seeking the face of God. By submitting to the power of God. We have to transition from I pray every now and then to I live a life of prayer. That I pray in the Spirit to I pray in the Spirit at all times. Amen? We have to understand we don't have the strength. Man, you know you know how big this church would be right now if, I, if, if God made it possible for me to do it in my own strength? Bigger than it is right now. And that's, that sounds arrogant. But I say that for two reasons. One, well, primarily for one reason. And I say that because I think I stand in the way too often of our growth. Sometimes I think I don't pray enough. I don't submit enough. I think my plans are more important or more significant. And so I, there are times, just to be completely honest and transparent with you, that I try to walk in my own power, not God's. Let me tell you what happens every single time. I fall on my face. We have to be willing to walk by the power of God, to transition our lives from power of self to power of God. And all of it, everybody say all of it, for the glory of God. Verse 6 sums it up very well. So that with one accord, you may with one voice, that's in unity, which only comes by the power of God and the Spirit of God, according to Ephesians. The God voice, glorify God and Father of our Lord Christ Jesus. We have to be a God-glorifying church in everything we do. In every dark space of your house, every dark corner of your mind, you have to expose those things to the light that God may be glorified in the space you're in. Everything God does is for His own glory. Did you know that? There's a, there's a story in your Bible in Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 32, verses 11 through 14. Then Moses entreated the Lord, the God's mad that the people are insolent 
or that they are obstinate. And he's going to destroy them. Then Moses steps in. He entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He said, Why are you mad at your people? You saved them. But then he says this, Why should the Egyptians, why should the people that don't belong to you, Say, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do his people. Why did he change his mind? Because Moses said, what are you, what's your enemy going to say about your glory? Are you going to, are you going to allow your glory to be diminished because you're angry? The answer to that question is no. And if God does everything for his own glory, then we should do everything for God's glory too. Even our own salvation isn't about us. Our own salvation should be to glorify God, which is why we have to move from this space into other spaces so that through our salvation, other people might come to know Him too. And in knowing Him, find freedom. And finding freedom, discover their purpose. And discover their purpose, make a difference.